Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Looks uh, much, uh, much rested and, and uh, a little bit sunnier and happier. Good to be here. I'm just back myself this past week. Had a great time away. Was back in on Sunday. Loved, loved being back in. It's great to it's great to go away, but it's even better coming home. Um, you know, when you love home and you love being where you are. And I certainly love this house and what God is doing here. And God is doing something. God is doing something here in the house and. Uh, we're so thankful for it. Stephen, am I getting a little ring in there? Is that me? Okay. All right. No problem. Um, <clears throat> but the Lord is doing something in this house, and we're thankful. We're thankful for that. And we want to continue to believe that God's going to do greater things in our community, bring people in. We, we pray this house is full, not only of, of the Holy Spirit, but of people, that this would be a Holy Spirit hospital that people would come in and they would find the redemption and the restoration that they need, uh, the, the touch of God that everyone needs, the encouragement that everyone needs. There's so much trauma. There's so much brokenness that has come into our culture, that's come into our society, broken homes, broken minds, broken lives. And uh, we know the mender. We know the healer. And uh, people need that. So we're going to continue to pray that God would use us in our city and in our country to, to make a difference. And uh, if you were here on Sunday, uh, you heard a great message by Pastor Nick about Gideon and being someone in his generation that made a difference in a time <clears throat> where the enemy had just plundered and, and just pillaged the people of God. And God used this man named Gideon to bring a great deliverance for his family, for his community, and for his nation. And in that same vein, uh, a slightly different trajectory, uh, but with that kind of spirit in mind of, of uh, that challenge that we heard on Sunday, I want to talk to you tonight. I feel like it's from the Lord this last week. I spent some time away, and this verse, I was taking a walk on the beach, and this verse came to me. I was just putting my mind in worship and, and walking there with the Lord. And this verse came to me out of Genesis. We're going to go to it tonight. But I, tonight I want to talk to you about disappearing saints. Disappearing saints. And uh, no, I'm not talking about the rapture. Though we do believe and preach the rapture. Uh, we do believe that the Lord is coming back. Amen. You know, the Bible predicts that. It talks about it. Jesus prophesied it. The apostles prophesied it. Uh, the scriptures are clear that he's coming back and that we're to be ready. We're to be ready uh, when he does come back. And there will be a disappearance one day for those that are alive and remaining to be caught up with the Lord together in the air. Uh, and that's biblical truth. Just as he came, he's coming again. And we believe that and we preach that. But this is not a message about the ultimate disappearing or the, the disappearing of, of God's people in his coming. Now, I want to talk to you about uh, another disappearing that happens in the life of the saints. And I think it's very relevant, or, or relevant and pertinent because we are living in the end times. Amen? How many of you believe that? We're living in the end times. We're living in a time that the Bible prophesied 
talked about, foretold, and God has, has allowed us to live in these days for a purpose. And you're here for a purpose. I'm here for a purpose. Uh, there's a reason why I wasn't born way back when. There's a reason why we're here. I'm here. You're here. And uh, God has a call on your life and my life in these last days. And I want to talk to you about that. And I want to talk to you about something that God has put in your heart as a Christian, and you know it's already there. Uh, God has put within every Christian, every believer, um, this heart cry. <clears throat> and if you've been born again, if you've been touched by the Spirit of God, and this is not about religion, this is not about just attending church or just trying to find uh, a peace or, or some sort of uh, salve for your conscience or some sort of relief about your future eternity. But it's something that God has done in your life, a genuine work of the Holy Spirit. Then you know that there is something uh, in your heart that God has put there, a great desire to be like Christ. Amen? How many of you know that when you become a Christian, when, when God does a work of the Holy Spirit in you, the Bible says he takes out the stony heart, the hard heart that didn't have time for God, that didn't have even think about God, uh, that was selfish and self-centered and self-serving. God puts within us a new heart. And that heart, the Bible says, is inclined after the things of God. It wants to do what God wants it to do. There's a heavenly desire that is placed within you as a born-again believer. Something supernatural happens. And I remember it so well when I became a born-again Christian. Uh, my, my affections changed. My desire has changed. My taste in music changed radically. There was a lot changed in my life. And it was something that God did. It wasn't something I did. It wasn't something, you know, I didn't follow five steps, uh, you know, to a, a godlier heart. It was something supernatural. It was something God did in my heart. And there is within a, every believer a hunger and a desire uh, that David even talked about deep crying unto deep within every believer's heart that's born in your heart of the Holy Spirit. And when you're born again and you begin to taste and partake of God's nature, that you want to be like Christ. There's something in your heart that, that, that desires and longs to see him be manifested in you, to see his spirit manifest in you. And there's that un unmistakable, unshakable, uh, indelible mark, a seal on your heart, and something that goes beyond just a fleeting desire. You know, we can all go through fads and diets and different things that we try out in life. That's part of growth. That's part of human. But this is not something that just comes and goes. This is something that is an underpinning desire in your life. And it's not just a passing interest. It's a, a, a consuming Desire. It's something that grows in your heart uh, that, that is there, this desire to be like Christ. And sometimes it's all-consuming. And, it, and then other times when we find ourselves distanced, uh, sometimes you can find yourselves distanced from God. Uh, even there, even in those places of dry times, even in those places of wildernesses, and, and when you're, it's a real battle of faith, there's under the surface, it may be buried, it, it may not be at the forefront, but there, there is something that, that never leaves us. 
Now, some believers cultivate this desire more than others, this hunger, and you can see the fruit in their lives. You can see uh, the fruit in someone's life that cultivates that desire to be like Christ. And others may struggle in their life to fully see it manifest, but they're, if they're honest with themselves, even if, if you don't see it manifest, even if it's not at the forefront of your desires, deep within your heart, Deep in the, the recesses of your soul, you can honestly say that you long for this. There's a desire <clears throat> that, that I want to be real in my life, that I want to see God uh, fulfill this, this reality of Christ being manifest, Jesus' heart being manifested in me. This ever-growing desire is summed up in the words of John the Baptist. And I love, I love, love this portion of scripture in the book of John. And I think it, it just, it, it captures the heart. It's the heart of the believer. It's the heart of the child of God. And I want you to hear what I believe is every believer's cry, right? I want you to hear what I believe is everybody's cry when you're born again. Here it is in the NLT. Listen to what the NLT says. John 3.30 is what we're looking at first. He must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. Amen. What a wonderful prayer. What a wonderful desire. He must become greater and greater. This is John the Baptist talking about Christ. And I must become less and less. And in the contemporary English version, uh, uh, that was a, sorry, yeah, that was a, the contemporary English version. And then the King James Version, I like it, what it says. It says, I must decrease and he must increase. What a prayer. What a desire. And Deco, or sorry, David echoes it in Psalm 17. He says, I will be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. There's a satisfaction that comes when the likeness of God begins to, the, the, the fruit of Christ, the life of Jesus begins to manifest in your life. There's a satisfaction, a, a peace. There's something that happens because you know what? We're created for that. We were created in his image. We were, we were created to bear this life. You as a child of God were created to bear this life of God. The Bible describes you as a temple that's been fashioned by the hands of God. And in you is the Holy Spirit. So you are a vessel. You, and you need to tell yourself that. Some of us say, well, I can't do that. I wasn't created to that. I'm not the best at that. It doesn't matter. God created you as a child of God to be a bearer of his life. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your education level is. It doesn't matter if you're white, black, skinny, fat. It doesn't matter. Those things are not disqualifiers to the life of God being manifested in you. There, there is this reality that you have been created for a purpose of bearing this life of God in your life. Amen. And there is a desire in the life of the believer that says with John the Baptist, John, I agree with you. I agree with you. I want to disappear. I want to dissipate. I want to dissolve away as you come into greater focus and greater clarity. Can I have an amen tonight? Is that your prayer? Is that your heart? 
even if it may not be at the forefront, buried underneath some of that. Can you sense that in your life that there's something more and I want to see that manifested? I want to see the life of God manifested in me. I want to see Jesus come to the forefront. I want to step to the back of the stage, exit stage left, and I want Jesus in the spotlight. I want Jesus to be heard. I want Jesus to be seen. I want Jesus to be felt. I want Jesus to be known in my life. David said, I will be happiest when I wake up in your likeness, where my life is less discernible, less visible, when I can myself by my own admission honestly say it's all about him. He takes the preeminence. He is at the forefront. My desires, my heart are his. Child of God, I hope that's your prayer tonight. And if, if, if it's not at the forefront and cry of your heart, I pray buried down deep, there's something resonating within you right now as you hear the word of God. That deep is crying into the deep. The Holy Spirit is quickening that cry that says, God, I want to decrease and I want to see Jesus manifested in my life. When he is appearing in our lives and we are disappearing, we find the greatest joy. We find the greatest peace. And it's a great prayer. It's a great admission that comes from someone that knows themselves and knows how important he is and how least important we are. You see, society, the world wants to build up who we are. It's always about building the self, building the ego, making ourselves comfortable and confident in ourselves. But scriptural Christianity is not that. Our confidence is not in ourselves. Paul talks about that. Paul talks about not having confidence in the flesh, knowing that in ourselves dwells no good thing, but our confidence is in him. Our confidence is in him and his power and his resurrection. And what a great prayer to pray sincerely. What a great place to be in, to recognize in your life, he needs to be seen more. He needs to be recognized. He needs to be at the forefront. And, and Paul talks about in Romans that all of us are groaning for this. Whenever you fail, whenever you miss the mark, whenever you don't fill up the snuff, whenever you feel distant, that, that ache in your heart, that longing in your heart to be more and to have God manifest more in your life. All of us knows what it means to groan. Amen. You know what it is to, to fall short. You know what it is to, to realize that you were meant for something more, that God has something more for you and it's not being manifested. And so there's that groaning, there's that tension, there's that, that, that sadness, that tinge of sadness in your heart that God, I want more of you. I want more of your life. I want more of your spirit. I want more of your victory. I want more of your heart. I want more of your love. And Paul talks about this groaning in Romans chapter 8, 12, or sorry, 8, 21 to 23. I'm going to read this to you. Paul talks about the creation itself is going to be set free from the bondage of human corruption. And it's going to obtain freedom that the, that the children of God share, that's in Romans 8.21, and then Romans 8.22, listen to what he says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, listen to what it says, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly 
Grown inwardly, that prayer of John. Grown inwardly, God, that I could lay aside my own desires and take up your heart, lay down my life and find you in resurrection. John, uh, Romans says that, and he says, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoptions of sons, the redemption of our bodies. And, and this, and there is that, that, that cry, that new cry for change, for newness, for more of him. And that is what we feel when we blow it. That, that is that when we're tired and we're weary, when we're frustrated, when we're disappointed, there's in the back of our minds and our hearts, I must decrease and he must increase. That's the answer. That's the answer to our failure. That's the answer to our weaknesses. That's the answers to our inadequacies. Inadequacies, not trying harder, not trying to be something that we're not, but to come to the cold face, to come to the reality. I know in myself I can't do it. I know in myself I don't have the ability, but I know one who does. I know one who has the right heart. I know one who has the right attitude. I know one who can come and it can fill me and make up the difference. And the good news is that though we will always be groaning, always longing for more, you and I here can experience a life where Christ is ever increasing. Amen. The Bible's clear about that. Paul talks about that. He talks about, I'm laboring, I labor in prayer for you that Christ be formed in you more. That you come into maturity, that you grow up in this, in this place where you are disappearing. And he is appearing more and more in your life. And, and this isn't a prayer or a groan that goes unanswered. This is a prayer that's generated from heaven and is answered by heaven. Amen? It's something that God puts within you when you're a child of God. I want to be like Jesus. I want to walk with him. When I see him not being racist, when I see him reaching out and across cultural lines and across socioeconomic boundaries and not caring what people think and loving sinners where they are and not being judgmental and harsh towards those people who are broken. God, I want that heart. I want to walk in courage in my generation. I want to be a difference and a light and a comfort in my generation. I want to stand for what's right. I want to stand for truth. Well, the Bible's clear that, folks, we can. The children, as children of God, God has given us through the new covenant. God has given us through the Holy Spirit that there is a way, that there is a way forward where we can experience a disappearing act in our life. Isn't that wonderful? That's consoling. As I stand before you tonight, it's consoling to think that, yeah, I groan for that and praise God that the Holy Spirit can answer that prayer tonight. That the Holy Spirit can come and do work in my life that's not something I'm striving to do, but it's a work of grace to where I am decreasing and he is increasing. And there's a, there's a man in the word of God that actually walked with God and he disappeared. God took him. He, he, he walked with God on a regular basis. We don't know that much about him, but we do know 
historically a little bit about him from, from other writings, that he was a very godly man and lived in a very difficult time like we're living in now, a very dark age. His name was Enoch, and it's in the book of Genesis. But there was a man that walked with God, and God took him. God took him. God, God answered that cry of his heart, that longing of his heart to be with him, that longing of his heart to be intimate with him. And I love what the Bible says about this man. And I want us to look at this man because there's a couple of important things about this man I think that could inspire us tonight. And this is an inspiring message. I hope to inspire your faith. I hope to inspire a, a, a desire in your heart. Uh, Some place where God wants to take us, not in a literal sense, that he wants us to disappear. He doesn't, you know, that was, a, that was the thing that God did. There was only three men in the word of God that God took and translated. They taught, it's biblical language called translation, where God supernaturally takes it. The first was Enoch, the second was Elijah, and the third was Jesus himself, where God took him up in the clouds. We read about Elijah. God took him up in a, a chariot. All we know is from Hebrews is that he was translated. God took him. He was walking with God one day and walked out into a field and was going about his business. He had a family, a wife, and children, and all of a sudden he didn't come home. Nobody knew where he was at, but they understood that God took him. They couldn't find him. God translated him and brought him to glory. And I believe in his life, there's something there that we can glean. There's something that for us, as we're living in difficult situations at different times, that we can glean and it can be an encouragement. I want to read Genesis 5, 21 through 24. And then Hebrews eleven five, Genesis five twenty one, and Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah three hundred years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were three hundred sixty and five years. And this is his epitaph. What an epitaph! What a, what a thing! Though they might have had a marker for him. To be buried, but he was never buried. But this was, this was what was written about his life. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not. For God took him. Think about that just a moment. Enoch walked with God, and he was not. For God took him. Hebrews 11.5. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found. I love that. Enoch was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. And I want to look at this phrase in Genesis 5.24. Just this portion of scripture here tonight. And Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. I was walking on the beach and I was struck by that. I was struck. It's a very profound statement when you think about him. But because it's, it's a great miracle in one sense, but it, there's something that I believe the Holy Spirit wants to translate into our lives and inspire us with. And there, there's, there's something, there's a principle laid down in this. This is the first time that that phrase is used. It's called, like, uh, in, in the Word of God, uh, he walked with God. Now, before this, it says that men called on God. 
But this is the first man that we get that's actually in relationship with God. Enoch was one of those three people that we mentioned that went up into heaven. And the Bible doesn't give a great description of this man at all. Only his age, the time he lived, his son's name, and this epitaph. He walked with God and was not. And I love that description of his life. Because in this, in this description, at the kernel of this very simple description of this one man who lived in a very dark age, you get the secret to all Christian growth and seeing the fullness of Christ in your life. When you peel it all back, when you stop analyzing, when you stop looking for some mystery of spiritual growth and answers to your deepest cry for Christ to come to the forefront, it's encapsulated in this line. He walked with God and he was not. That's powerful. He walked with God and he was not. Enoch the lesser walked with God the greater. Enoch the weaker walked with God the stronger. Enoch the wayward, a man of like passions just like us, failings and difficulties because there's no one that's ever lived apart from Christ that's never struggled, that, that didn't know what it meant to, be a, 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 to fail at life. To try, and but here was a man just like us that walked with God, the righteous one. And there's something so simple, but there's something very profound in this. You have a man in friendship with God, in intimacy with God, in fellowship with God, dedicated, as his name means in the Hebrew, to pursuing God, and then you find him gone. You look for him, and you can't find him. He's gone. He's translated. He's disappeared. And I want to say this, that in this, this verse is the Christian journey in a nutshell. It's the, it's the prayer of John laid out for us in that short verse. We pursue him. We intentionally walk after him, following him, and something miraculous happens in our lives as well. All of a sudden, you start disappearing. Isn't that wonderful? That epitaph becomes your epitaph. Magella walked with God and she was not. You walked with God and you were not. It begins to be spoken about us. You start fading from view. You start receding back into the wallpaper. There's something that begins to happen as you begin to walk with God in intimacy. As you begin to follow him, as you begin to draw near to him, and in your place, another one starts to appear. Another heart, another mind, another grace, another love. Hebrews 11.5 says, he couldn't be found. That's wonderful. Isn't that wonderful to think? He walked with God and couldn't be found. I think that's the secret of, what, of, of Christ coming to the forefront. That we walk with him and we're so intimate with him, we can't be found. Isn't that wonderful? It doesn't just happen. It doesn't just drop out of the sky. But as we intentionally begin to walk with God, things begin to happen in our life. This man's life was gone. His life was taken. And so it is with the Christian. And long before we're taken, long before we go to meet the Lord whether, you know, most of us are going to go by the grave. There will be a few people that go by uh, other ways, but most of us are going to be taken that way. We ourselves are disappearing. We ourselves are on the way out when we walk closely with God. You mark a man or a woman 
and you see God's disappearing act in their life. You see them starting to disappear. You see something happening that's supernatural, that's miraculous. In 1997, I had a friend, a very good friend of mine, though we weren't that close actually when the accident happened and he injured his back at work. Uh, but I had a, a, he became a very close friend of mine after an accident. Uh, but for about six months, I had a friend and uh, he was incapacitated. He injured his back at work and he was put on the floor and he couldn't sleep in a bed and, and he made a pallet in his living room floor. And this was a proud man. This was a, a hard man. This was a man uh, that had some things in his life, though he was a Christian. Uh, to this day, he would tell you he wouldn't be very proud of. Uh, but he had this surgery, and little did I know that his surgery and what God was about to do in his life would lead to a revelation for both of us. God did something in this man's life in humbling him and bringing him to a place of dependency. Now, before his surgery, he was a carnal Christian. And what I mean by carnal, you know, if he thought it, he would say it. If he felt it, he would let it be known. Uh, he, he, was, he was a man of anger and wrath. And these are things that he would tell you to this day if you talk to him about it. Uh, he held prejudice against different races. And this was a, a huge issue even in our relationship at the time. We would argue about racism. We would argue over, uh, and it was, it was hard for me to believe, and I had to contend with that this man was actually a Christian, that he, he had such a, a racist heart. And uh, yet we would argue, but he still continued to come to church. He was actually an elder in the church when I was out. But his heart was so hard and his heart was so distant. And uh, like I said, we still laugh to this day when we talk about this because we didn't get along at all. We would argue. But, but, but when this six, four, six foot four mass of a man got down in his back, everything changed. God did something in his life. Under all that anger, all that frustration, all that racism, was, it a, was a man that had once walked with God. He had a testimony that God had saved him when he was a teenager and used him to preach the gospel. He led many people to the Lord, and he had a close, intimate walk with God. But he fell away into his 20s. And while he was on that floor, Phil started softening towards the Holy Spirit. And he got a hold of a book called The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. If you haven't read it, I, I would gladly recommend it to you. But that little book transformed this man's life. And the Holy Spirit used it in a powerful way. He started telling me when I would see him about something I had never heard of and, and was a word that, that was foreign to me. He started speaking to me about intimacy with God. I knew about prayer, I knew about soul winning, I knew about serving, I knew about doing, I knew about living righteously and in obedience, but this, this thought that I could be intimate with God, that I could have a relationship one-on-one -on -one with God was a foreign idea, it was a foreign truth that I had not heard anybody, uh, and, and I'd only been saved probably five years, but I hadn't heard anyone mention it in the circles that I was living. I heard about the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, angels, end times, but nobody talked about personal intimacy with God. 
It was like it wasn't even heard of. And so this fascinated me with intimacy with God. I thought that was something that, you know, a, a husband and wife enjoyed or friends enjoyed. I'd never thought of it in my relationship with God that I could be intimate with God, that I could know God in a special way and get to know him in a very real way. And uh, this is something, if you know anything about A.W. Tozer, he would speak about quite a bit. But I watched as this man, this hard, racist, angry, frustrated individual, as he lay on his living room floor, the Holy Spirit doing such a work in his heart, he started to spend time with God. He started to walk with God, though he couldn't move his legs. He couldn't get up and he was immobile for a while because of the surgery. He started walking with God in that stillness, in that place of incapacitation. And I watched this man start to disappear. I watched the anger leave. And I watched joy I watched the smiles and, I, and, and, and where he was, he was just bitter and, and, and vitriolic. I, I started to see this man have joy and peace and all the unforgiveness began to leave his life. And the racism, the racism that was such a bedrock, so entrenched in his heart, God took it and, and he became a lover of every color. He became uh, great friends with, with, with people before he would have had nothing in common with. But he began to love other races. And all of a sudden, the field that I knew, the field that I didn't get along with, was gone. And in its place, there was this man there. There was a new man. There was a, there was a man that, that was raised up by the Holy Spirit. It's like John, John, John prayed it. And, and I saw it realized in this man's life, he was decreasing and Christ was increasing in his life. And, and from that, we started fellowshipping. And he started inspiring me to find my very own personal walk with Christ. My very own personal walk with God, where I can know God for myself. And that summer, my life deepened in God in a way that, that was profound. I was no longer just a servant or a, someone that felt called to the ministry. I felt like I had gained a friend. I felt like I had gained an intimate. And I spent time with God like I had never spent time with God before. I would go home. I lived alone at the time. I was only like 23, I think, at the time. And I remember times of deep communion with God. Going, going home or in my truck or at work, separating myself and enjoying God's presence. Now, I had worshiped before, but there was a deepening. There was a walking with God that I hadn't known before. There was, a, there was something that was happening. And just like in Phil's life, it began to happen in my life as we both began to journey with God in intimacy. And we would sit on his porch fellowshipping about Christ. And our hearts would, would come alive as we talked about what God was showing us. And we, there were times where we would weep together on the porch as the presence of God would show up. And there was real, true fellowship. And there was real, true communion. And I always come back to this point in my journey.
It's become a bedrock in my life. When my heart grows cold, when, when I feel disinterested, when I feel wayward, or when my thoughts are chasing other things, I'll always come back to this reality that God has created me for fellowship. That God has created me for intimacy with him. That God has brought me out into this place and he desires intimacy with me. Not just saying it or going through the motions, but intimately pursuing a relationship with God. And brothers and sisters, I believe that this is the call to every believer. It's not just to Enoch and this wasn't just meant for someone to be an example in the word of God. Jesus Christ has made a way for you and I to know God intimately. And I mean intimately. I'm not talking about just singing songs for him or playing music for him or preaching for him. God is not a utilitarian ruler where he just sticks us on like a, a glove and uses us and takes us off. God is interested in our heart. God is interested in me, in my quiet time. God is interested in my life. And he wants me to walk with him. I love what the Bible says in Hebrews. We're going to close in just a moment. But in Hebrews it says, uh, in Hebrews it, it said that Enoch pleased God. For it was written that he pleased God. But that's not what's written. It, it's not written in Genesis that Enoch pleased God. It says Enoch walked with God. But the spirit of it, is captured in Hebrews because that's what pleases God's heart, that we walk with him, that we find a place of relationship with him, that it's not about rules, that it's not about regulations, that it's about us coming and knowing God for ourselves, that you as a Christian, that you as a believer, that you as a child can know your heavenly father, that you can know him intimately that you can know his voice, that you can know his presence, that you can know his word, that you can know that he has a plan for you. You may not know exactly what it is, but you know that it's good, and therefore you can trust when you don't understand fully where it's taken you. That you can develop a closeness with him and learn to trust him. And that's the heart of God. He's placed with each one of us a desire to know him. A desire to be like him. And a, a desire to walk with him. And I can promise you tonight, as we're closing out this service, with all the authority of the word of God, that as the saints of God begin to walk with God, as we begin to live in what it means to be a child of God, as we begin to explore who God is for ourselves, as we begin to get to know him, as we begin to taste and see that God is good, as we begin to do that in our own personal lives, there'll be a disappearing of saints all over Cork. There'll be a disappearing of saints all over our country, all over our world, as we begin to walk with God. God will take us. And there will be a moving in our lives. There will be a changing. There will be a Christ coming to the forefront in our lives. And that heart's cry, brothers and sisters, tonight, that we all have, Lord, that I may decrease and you may increase. 
will become a living reality. I don't know about you tonight, but that's exactly what I want in my life. That's exactly what I want in my life. Underneath every desire, under, underneath every desire for a relationship, no matter what it is or, or what we're looking for, there's a desire for intimacy with God, and you can have it. You can have it. Christ paved a way for you to know God intimately and for you to walk with him in a very real way. Will you stand with me tonight? That's our prayer tonight. That's our closing prayer, the join with John and countless others that have prayed that prayer. And as we pray that prayer, as we, as we pray that same prayer of John and pray that prayer, you know, I'm sure that Enoch prayed, God, that I could just walk with you. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised that you find God appearing in your life as you make room for him in that way. In that prayer, as you make room for him, God begins to appear in your life. He begins to show up. Maybe some of you tonight have lost that desire. Maybe you once had it and maybe different things have just beat it out of you. Life can do that. Life can sour us. Life can discourage us. But I'm telling you tonight by the Holy Spirit that within every child of God, that, that prayer is there, that heart is there, that heart is still in you, that you may increase, Lord, and I may decrease, that I may know you and walk with you. Can we pray that tonight? Will you make that your prayer? Will you make that your prayer, Lord, that you may increase and I may decrease? May this be a living reality in my life? Walk with them and watch what God will do. Get that love back, that joy back in waking up and finding him and knowing him and being with him. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you for your word, the examples of your word of men and women that have walked with you and they were not because you took them. Maybe you didn't take them exactly like you took Enoch, but you did it in a different way. You took them by the hand and you led them into an intimacy. And in that intimacy, Lord, there was an exchange. There was a moving. There was a, there was a change, Lord. There was a disappearing of our agenda and appearing of your agenda. A disappearing of our faults and failures and weaknesses and appearing of your perfection and your maturity and your goodness and your grace. And so like tonight, Lord, I just pray as we close out and round up this time in the word of encouragement that we would be an Enoch culture. We would be an Enoch people like Enoch that walk with you, that find you in a dark time. And Lord, in that time, your life will, will appear. Your light will appear. And others will see you. And they will see us disappearing and you appearing. Bless us tonight. Be with us tonight. I pray for every person here that you would kindle a desire for intimacy with God. A desire to know God intimately. To, to, to find you in the daylight hours, in the nighttime hours, when we're alone, when we're in a crowd, when we're at work, to find you in that place to, that deep would call into deep 
And in that exchange and that moving towards you, Lord, there would be an appearing of Christ. Hallelujah. And Lord, there would be a moving of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Hallelujah. Father, help us to walk with you in this generation. Help us to be an Enoch culture of people that walk with God and know your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you tonight. God bless you. Thank you for joining us tonight. I pray the word of God has impacted your life and there's been a seed sown tonight. Go out of here. Walk with God. Walk with God and watch what God will do in your life. Just like he did with Enoch. He's going to make a difference. And you're going to see the Lord appear in places maybe you didn't think he would. Amen. God bless you, Court Church. Good to be with you tonight. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website. It's www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time.